Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. My name is Sean and this is 152, I believe, Ronan. 152 what? Episodes. Episodes. <laughs> oh, elephant. Oh, cat trees, because I'm staring at one. <laughs> Are you just saying things in the tr- in the room that you love? I'm just saying that I love no, lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. You're very much welcome back to the Game Pit Podcast. This is another Pit Spit. We've got eight games, Sean. We have eight games, and I've been upsetting you with some of my choices. I had to learn a couple of fairly deep Euros to yes, you uh, <laughs> play part in yours. Unusually, uh, I've played three of yours. I know. In recent times, that hasn't been so easy, but it happens we had some crossover and what have you. So that's going to help for a bit of chat. It has, it will. And as usual, I've played none of yours. <laughs> so you'll just listen to me prattle. I will, I will. Speaking of which, Tainted Growl. Tainted Growl, Ronan. Should we fire into it? Talk about it. Okay. One to four player, two hours, Kickstarter Phenomenon from Awakened Realms, who are quite used to doing Kickstarter Phenomenons. They are. Nemesis yeah. Lockdown. Five million something pounds, something like that. But I think that's dollars. yeah. But I think that's to do with the lockdown across the world. I think people are just well. It was smart branded. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention Nemesis at the end because you reviewed it and we chatted about it a bit. But now I've played it. Well, you've just played it, Ronan. So you've had, you've had a day, an alien day almost. Uh, well, it was a weekend. Oh, weekend, oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. We've been doing classic movie weekend with the girls most weekends, watching stuff that's... And Alien's 41 years old. Oh, I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> so we watched Alien one night, and the next day the four of us played Nemesis, because he's Alien the game. Pretty much. And you really liked it? I really liked it, yes. I did. I, I did understand the fragility of it. I did understand that... Anything. It was one of those anything can happen games. Sometimes the roles don't necessarily mesh together very well, but I just loved the experience that the game gave me. Definitely an experience game. Definitely not as heavy as it first appears. There is a bit of learning to it, I found. But once you've got it, and again, the Awakening Realms rulebook is not the best structured. It, it brings in exceptions before it explains the structure of the of the game so yeah. you're kind of learning things we don't have the basis of what's very learning. hard to go back and like if you, if you can't remember stuff. something exactly very hard to pick it out of the uh, of the rule book something that exactly links into tainted growl i found same sort of structure of a rule book whereby tell me the whole overall picture then give me the details but you're not getting that you're getting the details first but anyway in terms of nemesis we only played once it went horrifically wrong we got <laughs> fire kicked up and it exploded twice and we never had the fire suppression room. In fact, we never knew it was in there because we didn't like we we literally played it as if we'd woken yeah. up. And so it it curtailed very short, but they all wanted to play it again. But yeah, you got to round five. I did actually say to Ronan, were you just crapping fire wherever you <laughs> went? <laughs> but that took two hours. The teach and for four players to get to round five took two hours. Yeah, but I, it will that will ramp up because you'll know it now. Yeah, well, this is something we, it is. It does take a while because all the different rooms do something different, and there's lots of different items, and everyone's got yeah. their own different quests, not just your objectives to do, but also your own items to unlock by doing things. Oh, and, it does take a while. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one that you're going to have to put some time aside for. So we really enjoyed it, but it is much more about story than mechanisms, which is. I think, the, for for me, the right way to go on these sort of games. It I just is. want to get on with it. Yeah, I, did, I really did get the feeling of Alien. I really did get the feeling that something was going to jump out and you were quite 
cautious and you had to you had to worry about where you were going and how much noise you were making. It has the face huggers and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. So Nemesis is good. Uh, you won't be able to back it now because the Kickstarter's over. So this little re-review was a bit late. But <laughs> if you missed it, sorry. <laughs> it was good. Shall we talk about Tainted Grail now? Let's do it. I'm going to scratch that off the end of show thingies to do. Show thingies to do. You know, at the end when we just talk about some things, it was in my list and now I just thought... Well, I'll do it now. Well, go for it. Okay, well, I did it. I did go for it. I don't need that. Take the Growl by Christoph Piskorski and Marcin Svirkot. It is set in a land of Celtic myth, taken from some Cornwall legends, Welsh legends, a lot of Irish influence. You're actually set in a land called Connacht, which hey. is <laughs> the province of Ireland that where that we're from, our family are from, and you and you'll see lots of very familiar names. You'll see uh, Camelot, Mordred. The King Arthur actually is there. Mm-hmm. You'll see the Lady in the Lake. But the whole thing is there's this sort of other side, this foggy world that's slowly breaking through, and it's a land of isolated communities whereby each community has its own feel and its own place. And there's a plague spreading across the land as well. And you guys are not the heroes. You're like the hero sidekicks who've been left behind. And the heroes have gone off to try and fix the world and and repair what's going on. And it seems like it might have gone wrong. So you're sort of following in their wake, trying to find out what they've done, what's going on. You don't have an idea what's going on in the sort of the big political world because you are local villagers and you're having to uncover this whole story as you go. Now, Tainted Grail, I think, got a lot of attention because of its setting and story, Sean, because it offers this fantasy, but with the familiar at the same time. And it definitely helped lure me in. Obviously, the look of it is is brilliant as well. But definitely the Arthurian legend combined with that sort of Celtic myth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to inspire a lot of people. And it's, it's known across the world, really, those those Arthur, those names, Mordred, Arthur, Lady of the Lake, they're, they're known across the whole globe. So it's a good starting point for a game, I think. You've already got that familiarity. So from the setting, in terms of the story, it's broken into 10 separate chapters. The way it does the actual story as you unveil it is that there's a sheet of what they call story points. And I mean, there's like 60 on there and some of them are just one-offs. So if you get to an encounter, it's sort of a choose your own adventure book that you go through. And if you do an encounter, it might say, right, now mark this status. And then further on, you might come to a thing and it'll say, have you got red boots on? If yes, turn to this. If you mm-hmm. haven't, then continue and go to the other ones. Right. And then, but then there are multi-part ones as well. So you, you have you unveil part one, part two, part three, up to part six, or some of my eight-part things. Whereby if you do them all and you uncover them all from around the place, you obviously unveil a massive change in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might change the course of a war. Or you might uh, change the course of, of the plague, or you might completely unveil and, and let things come through that you didn't want to let through. And that is one of the cleverest things they've done with the story, that it feels persistent. It feels like your achievements carry on, but in a very low mechanism way. You just literally tick in a box. Two things I want to ask you specifically around how that that is structured and the writing itself. So that feels to me like it could go horribly wrong if they if they don't sort of match up certain storylines you could sort of feel like you've been left in limbo and also the writing i think would have to be of of a top top notch does it all marry together and how is the writing for the storyline 
So for the writing, I, I gave it one of our end of year awards. I didn't know at that time, but Christoph Biskorski, who is credited one as a co-designer, is a top Polish fantasy writer. Oh, okay. I remember I said it felt like they got an actual author in, not someone who writes, but an actual, yeah. it shows. Cool. So the writing's really good. Yes, there's the familiar from those legends in there, but there's a twist on them. The unexpected happens. You've got individual encounters, which are memorable to you. And mystery is held back in story without becoming frustrating in terms of the writing. Also, the overall story is intriguing. If there's a thing that's going to drive you onwards in this game, it's going to be the overall story. And the fact I've started this arc, I have choices to make, but I don't know where they're going to go. And I have a feeling they'll unveil the story in different ways. Now, that leads to the other side that, yes, you do feel that certain parts of the game are blocked off from you. I mean, explicitly so at times. It says... Do you have Arik with you, this character? No, you cannot do that. Do you have this other character with you? Then you can do that. And not only are your choices blocking you, but the people you have are blocking you. And then there's times where you might have seen six times, have you got this status? No, I haven't got that status. I have a never encountered way of getting that status. So there's always things behind the wall, which I'm guessing is what they're hoping will lead to replayability. I think that makes sense to me like some games do that as we've talked about with uh, a little bit with lord of the rings said that it's got that sort of time time against you sort of thing going on where you can't explore everything you can't explore the world because the there's a time within the game there's a timer within the game this seems it makes sense i can't do that because i can't experience whatever this character brings to the game because i haven't met this character so that that's fine i, I don't mind that at all the flip side of it is though that in terms of the story being slow mm-hmm. to develop and, and a slow burner, it's hard to move around the map. So you've got this idea there's this wide open world, mm-hmm. but there are these huge statues called Menhirs, and in order to unveil more of the world, you can't just walk around the place. You have to activate Menhirs. They're always very expensive. The more players you have, the more expensive they are. You're going to spend a fair amount of your time playing, just grinding to get the resources uh, right. to light up a Menhir to then allow more to open up. Mm-hmm. The feeling of the grind, if you just had to get the resources to light up the men here, okay. But the fact the story slows develop adds to the feeling. And then the third thing I'll say is that it's hard to level up your character. It's what we find is very expensive in terms of XP. Mm. There's a development system. You've got six attributes. You can add to them. But then once you've added to them to get to level two, you can add special skill cards, which really make you super powered. But it takes a long time to get there. Which absolutely blends into what I was about to say, Ronan. I've taken, I've looked at a couple of comments, and these are kind of mixed comments. They're not. I haven't gone for just negatives. Like this, for instance, this first one says that it's a bar raiser for production quality, oozing with theme, uh, addictive combat filled with great lore, uh, indigestible amounts. They believe they thought, but they go on to say about the, the mid-game grind to relight the minis. It goes beyond the excessive into tedium, and they they go on to say that that's what drags the game down a little bit. This is where, from what I've encountered from people who played it and chatting, that it's all about the tolerance of your group and how you want to play a game. Because some groups are going to get enjoyment from the fact that this is hard and you're slogging through, and they're going to get reward from right we finally that it's men here we've got access to three more cards three more locations we didn't have before we're now going to slog through this and they'll find that every step along the path in this progression and that's what pleases them other people have house ruled the men here's for example to say look how many characters we have in this game 
We're going to treat them as if there's only one character playing. So we have to do something, but we're not spending all our time grinding away. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's going to make the overall game easier because mm-hmm. you're going to get through quicker, mm-hmm. but you're going to get to enjoy the story. So what are you there to do? Are you there because you want to get through it, see the story and experience the story, or are you there to take on the challenge of, this is bloody hard work to experience <laughs> this? And it's going to have to fit your group, and, and it's not a game for everyone. Which again kind of blends into my next um, sort of point to make to you, Ronan. So this uh, person on Board Game Geek has said that it's an excellent solo game. They they think it plays in a very similar way to the Seventh Continent. They even go as far as say they feel that this has got better mechanics, and they, they're not worried about the grind. They just enjoy exploring, role playing the characters, etc. But what they do say they couldn't imagine playing it multiplayer, and it's. it's they feel like it, it was designed to be a solo experience, but then maybe the, the extra players were added in for retail value. Well, Lummy, here's a question. <laughs> Downtime is a problem. That person previous to this one said that they like really like the combat system, and the combat system is innovative, mm-hmm. and it's different. What it is is you have a deck of cards, you draw three, you put them down, and depending upon what attributes you have... They trigger off each other, but you, but you need to make them trigger and you have to play them in certain sequences. There's a certain lack of agency there because you've got a very small hand of cards usually, but there is a way to build your deck up if you spend XP, which means you're not getting the super skills to make you super powerful. You're improving your deck by spending your XP instead to make that side better, but you've got two different decks for each character, a diplomacy one and a combat one. And it can be slow to get them going. And generally, if you've got one character that's good at combat, they won't be as good at diplomacy, and they might get hit by a diplomacy encounter. And it can be very grindy. Now, in terms of how that links into how many players you play with, that's downtime. You're just looking at someone struggle with some symbols on a card while they put them down and put them down and put them down, and it's not thematic. Mm-hmm. And you don't feel like there's a combat going on. You feel like there's a clever card, little card combo game going on. But it doesn't. it's not part of the story. I mean, that can go on for several minutes. Yeah. Now, if you're playing with more than two, if Sean has an encounter, then Natalie has an encounter, then Rachel has an encounter, I might be getting up to 20, 25 minutes to go, right, my action is I walk to the next tile and we go back to the other three again. <laughs> it's an issue with the game. Yeah. The problem with playing with one character is I would feel that it's too much is blocked off from you. And you don't get to do, if you're not that person, you're not this person, you haven't got that skill, you haven't got that ability, you're no good at diplomacy. That's 80% of the game you can't play. You're, you're down one path. As soon as you have two different characters, you're unveiling different aspects and you can help each other. It becomes a more interesting game, but at the price of that downtime. Yeah. So again, it's one of those things that's a balance for your game group. If you don't mind the downtime and you can enjoy watching someone else play the game, okay. But there's going to be, everyone's going to have their own limit to that. Well, I'm out, Ronan, I, in terms of I haven't got any more to add to the conversation, but I'm interested in your final thoughts because it's probably going to solidify whether I want to play this game or not. It's probably not, because <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well done. <laughs> There's one other thing I want to say to you quickly is that part of the resolution for a lot of the encounters, and it can be quite important, is just a roll of a D6. Now, while you can have additions here and there for things for it, it's quite often just the roll of the D6. And it happens often enough that if you roll a six, great, you've done something that's hard to do. If you roll a one, you get punished. Especially in the early chapters when you're really not very powerful, mm. that punishment can be harsh. And you actually, when you get punished, you get thrown back into more of a grind. So it slows you down again. Yeah. So that aspect's felt a bit funny. And overall, <laughs> it's an extraordinary achievement. 
in terms of its production, its story, the experience it's trying to give you. But to me, you're going to have to find the right way to play. It may be that out of the box, as written, the way it works is the right way to play for you guys. Then you're going to absolutely adore the game. It's going to be one of the best games you've ever played. It might be that you're going to have to decide how much, you know, like if Rachel and I are to continue, I think I might say to her, right, these men here now cost for one player, not two. Yeah. Because we're just not enjoying doing that. We're right. just, you know, off our six energy a day, sometimes four energy a day, if we're spending three or four just collecting stuff, it's now become a Euro game with no resolution because we're just spending that stuff back over again. So we we might lean that way. If you have the patience to do that, and it, the story is so worth experiencing that I would recommend it, but you have to have that patience with the game. Very good. So it's I don't know whether story. I... No, yeah, I, <laughs> you really haven't helped at all. Well done. Well done, you. I got frustrated with it and I was tempted to trade it away. And then I realized I paid for two wave shipping and I've already got an expansion that's going to turn up at some point. <laughs> and that may have given it the state of execution because then actually I put it back on the shelf and go, well, okay, let's play this to resolution, but it's forcing me to find a way yeah. that will make it fun. Because for one chapter, it's taken us three or four hours. And two of those hours might not be fun, but the reading and the discovery needs. So we always say, listen, we always say that you, you get into games to have fun. You don't get into games to follow rules exactly. You find your own path and you, you find what's fun for you. So, As in life. As in life, indeed. Talk about <laughs> games that require investment and can be quite grindy and you've got to really work out to make them fun. Sure. <laughs> if I had any hair, I'd pull them out playing this game, trust me. Right, my game I'm introducing is Clinic, and this is the new deluxe edition. I did talk about this on my best of 2019, so there are some spoilers there. It is designed by Album Viard, coming from AV Studio Games. And the backstory is uh, there's a town centre somewhere, and it's flourishing, but in need, the need for medical care is growing with it. Us and our business partners are looking to build a clinic, but during the building of the clinic we encounter creative differences and decide to break off and each of us is going to build our own clinic the clinic of our dreams ronan it's about making money mate it's not yeah really. it really is it's not about helping people at all <laughs> I, it's quite funny in the world about how cynical it is the sort he, of flavor text it is funny it is obvious like he, he goes in like when you're buying points you're buying prestige or something you're, like in the real world <laughs> <laughs> so the aim of the game here is to build up your clinic as efficiently as possible treating patients managing car parking needs and making the layout as easy as possible for our medical professionals to navigate in order to treat the patients. Over six rounds, you're going to be doing the following phases over and over again, action, business, and administration. The actions when you're actually playing them are hidden information. You're going to lay out a set of tiles and everyone's going to simultaneously reveal them and you're locked into that order of doing the actions. The actions are, you're going to build various rooms in your hospital. You've got your service hub, which is going to set up the type of medical assistance that is offered on each floor of your clinic. There are things like supply rooms, special rooms, gardens, even car parks. Then you're going to hire, and you're going to hire staff. You have doctors. They come in different colours depending on how their abilities of treating the more difficult cases. And you can also hire nurses and orderlies to work in your clinic. You again got to admit patients, Ronan, and again they range from white to red. White being a mild condition, red being a very serious condition. 
then you have to move everybody around your hospital. And that's where the efficiency comes in. You're going to move people around. You're going to try and get them to where they need to be to be treated or the doctors where they need to treat people as quickly as possible, spending the least amount of time because time is a resource in this game, owner. Then you move on to the business phase. And then the business phase is where you're going to get money for treating those patients because it is all about making money. And you also have to pay your staff. Doctors are going to degrade at the end of each each round and because they get more tired and they can't treat the level of patient they did before. New patients are going to arrive, new staff are going to arrive, uh, some special rooms are going to activate. Endgame scoring is all about, you're going to score for your clinic floors, you're going to score for your treatment rooms. That's the positive ones, Ronan. Then we're going to have negative points, patients still in the clinic and time spent. Time is a very critical factor in clinic. You could maybe lose if you spend too much time moving people around, Sean. Did you know? <laughs> uh, yes, Ronan, I, I did know. <laughs> I have both done and seen that bad boy happen. All the stuff that's going around, running is all about building up a hospital and it's all about getting the, the rooms in a certain order. And it's all right at the back of it is that time expenditure. You're really thinking, right, okay, I can't have this room too far from this room because it's going to take my doctor too far to walk and my patient's too far to walk. So it's it's a puzzle, and it's a puzzle that you have to build efficiently. There's a thing about album VR, right? <laughs> when you're playing, when you learn this game, and this takes a bit of learning, and then when you play it, when you first learn it, you're really confused. Yep. And then when you play it, you learn the internal logic of the game, Right. And he does some tricks. He's done a lot of these either 2D or 3D puzzles where yeah. it's all about spatially where you are, where you do the city theme ones and stuff, right? And you play the game, and you go, wow, wow, that all makes sense. Oh, yeah, I get it all now. This all ties together. Oh, it's really thematic. Well, great, yeah. And then you walk away, and at some point in that night, you'll wake up in a cold sweat. Shot man. <laughs> None of that's logical. None of that makes actual sense. He just had me living in his brain for a while. It's both genius and horrific what he does to your brain. I think in terms of a thematic, I think in a funny, weird way, it did feel thematic because it did make me think no, about... he wants you to think no, that. No, but think about it. It made me think about the challenge of running a hospital. I'm sure that hospitals have problems. So parking is a major issue. A major issue in all, all hospitals is parking. People will come in to visit, the staff parking, ambulance right. being able to you know, get in and out. But it's not a major issue in this game. It's completely superfluous. It's it's a factor you have. How was it a factor? Did it ever affect how you built? Yeah. When you how? Because you have to build car parks, otherwise you just get a massive bottom floor full We of... never built car parks. Well, but the cars come and go all the time. Only if you cure, cure the patients. Well, you could cure the patients, make your money, get on with it. We <laughs> never had to consider that all I... we were doing was putting on cars and taking off cars continuously. And it never, because you get to take them off when you treat the patient. I did. Even if you put a car in an awkward place, you'll just go, right, This because the cars aren't linked to a particular person. And it literally says in the rule book, yeah, that patient you treated just nicked the doctor's Maserati. That's what happens when you leave the keys in it. It has that line in the rule book. So that, yeah. You can always make play where the cars are. I did, I did because I didn't actually build a very tall hospital. Let's get onto another facet. Look, you're building upwards, and it's you're spatially adjacent upwards as well as sort of horizontally as well, which is another thing to think about. 
I didn't go too high because that would just mess with my mind. So I kept it simple. But then parking became a major issue on my ground floor. But you can't spread too much out on the ground floor because you can only treat one type of patient. So you're going to have to go up, at least one. And you all start with the same speciality, at least in the base game you do. And there's only three different types. So if you've got one and you become cardiology, well, I've got one and become the other one. It depends on how many players you've got. There can be more than three in there. Yeah. But you're going to have to go up at some point. You're going to have to go up at least one, but... Where's the efficiency in having a massive ground floor that can only treat one type of patient? You hoover up all, all that type of patient. Ah, oh, it doesn't make any sense to me, man. And no, no, no. It, 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 it helps with your time. You don't spend as much time. Oh, well, well, i tell you how you don't spend as much time. You put conveyors in. Conveyors are the way forward. What is a conveyor, Sean? <laughs> To explain to people what a conveyor is in game and then tell me what it is. It's effectively, in, in the game, it's effectively a hallway or an elevator. Really? Because he literally says, think of them as teleport points. Does he? Oh, I didn't see In that. the rule book. I, I thought of them as hallways, like staff-only hallways so that they can just get out and get to the The patients can go down too. Yeah, all right. Hallways, hallways. Hallways hospitals have hallways. <laughs> Hospital have elevators. They don't have hallways that bend time space and make it quicker to work on the travelators that help help you walk quicker. Conveyors. You've got teleporters <laughs> in this hospital you're building. What? But they only teleport in a straight line. Yeah. You have to be able to see the other one where you're going. <laughs> it gives you a start layout when you first learn in the game. It does. It's really inefficient, the starting layout. It really doesn't help you learn how to play well. <laughs> what, what was the game in the last episode that we chat about and I was moaning about the start layout? Oh, um, Triz Majestus. Oh, yeah. It's not that level of heinous. <laughs> but why do they give you these layouts that then block you from building up well? Because you can't trigger off it. In a funny way, it makes you think about how that could have been done and makes you think about how you could have done it better. I don't know. I don't, he is he is a mad genius. He's a cerebral troll. <laughs> he gets fun from thinking. All these people are trying to think their way around these puzzles that I've just made fiendish. <laughs> the quality of this edition, now I talked about the, the lack of quality in the last one, Ronan. How did you feel about the iconography, about the general layout? I think it's quite clear and to the point, because it does have to be, because there's so much else going on spatially. What's impressive is, now, when you talked about it previously, I said that I'd read the rule book for the initial Kickstarter edition, the mm. pizza box one, yeah. and I was really confused, and I really and I thought it was too messy. The changes between the pizza box rules and these rules are actually quite extensive, and most of them are in terms of usability. I'll say extensive. They're not really fundamentally the same game. Mm. But there's been changes in terms between things. There's been changes in how systems work, and it's all made it clearer and has brought it back to being much easier to learn. So I didn't find it that difficult to learn, to be honest with you. It, it's just that you're learning what is a tough puzzle. Yeah. So it is hard work to do it. But not overly so, and the rule book's not bad, and the structure of the round all makes sense. And in effect... You've got six possible actions you can take, and you're taking three of them each round. Mm -hmm. So mechanically, it's quite a simple game. Yeah, I think the problem for me personally was realising that I'd put things in the wrong wrong order or had rooms that couldn't be adjacent sort of after the fact, and then going, well, I, what do I do now? Like, do I just take that away and then ruin my whole game, or do I do a taxi-baxi and put it where it could have been? And that was the big problem for me. Oh, so so every time someone was building, we just made sure we all talked about it? Yeah, that's a good idea. I, I went, I'm going to put this here, 
And it, right, if everyone agreed you could put it there, if that turned out to be wrong later, then <laughs> that's your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but it never happened. But people did, especially in terms of building up the floors, because you have to have a supporting one underneath, but the same colour of room. So so a support room can't have a support room above it or a treatment room can't have a treatment room above it. It can't be the same. Yeah. So it's sort of, you have to checkerboard your way up. That definitely threw people off sometimes when they're like, I'm building here. I, there's nothing underneath that. <laughs> which was which was quite funny, but uh, but in terms of usability, but and and symbology, once I mean some of the symbology is a bit obtuse, but once you learn it, once you're in that internal logic, yeah, yeah. my initial point, it all flowed. Mm. So, uh, who is it for, Ronan? Idiots who want to <laughs> punish themselves, who think that doing this sort of puzzle is fun, but it is fun. I really enjoy playing it. Did you? I, I was worried about this one for you. No, I enjoyed my first play of it a lot. And I walked away and actually, no, that's not true. When we finished playing, we looked at what each other had done and we'd all done different things. I went really, really tall and skinny, which is not like me. Uh, other people went very low and or people went in between, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about, oh, do you know what? If I'd known I'd have done this or I would have done that or I'd have started it like this. And then, oh, you could do car parks and then, because you get a bonus for having extra buildings, but it's very hard to have buildings that don't connect to each other. So, and it was like, oh, you can actually get three buildings, but they'd all be very small. You'd have to build up from there. So we had all this chat about, oh, and if you put helipads in, because every doc, every member of staff or every patient's got to come in via an entrance or a helipad. That's right, yeah, that's correct. So if you're building up tall, if you build helipads, it becomes more useful, mm-hmm. but you can never build on top of a helipad. So you're yeah. kind of limit, you're capping that level yeah, off. Yeah. And that brings in an interesting spatial aspect, but then trying to link the helipads via a transporter or whatever the hell it's called, conveyor. <laughs> you know, that, so you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, that is all really interesting. But I have no need to own it because similar to some of his other ones, mm-hmm. it might take you a few games, but to me it's kind of solvable. There's not going to be a variety in the puzzle enough for me to think, oh, I need to keep this, mm-hmm. and my 10th game is going to be massively different to my first game, apart from in my competence. <laughs> and that's why I refer to it as a puzzle more than as a game. But of course it's a game. Let's not get into like a big discussion about yeah, what's a game yeah. and what isn't. It is a game. But very like much a thing to solve. Mm-hmm. Once you solve it, is there going to be any more to it? It does come with a whole box full of expansions. And there are loads of little and medium and large expansions in that box. He's already developing a COVID-19. He's done it. He's kickstarted it. Yeah, he's kickstarted a COVID-19 expansion. I think it's it's one of those games, and he does tend to do this with games. He gets that base idea, and he's just got, oh, they could do this to this, and this to this, and this. Some of them will work, I'm sure. Some of them will be terrible. Some of them will be in the middle. Uh, but it does, for me, give it that sort of longevity in my mind if once I get bored of the puzzle and I do agree with you it is a puzzle and it is a, an efficiency puzzle but once I get bored of that I think I'll throw in some of those expansions it's the tramways thing he did where tramways is almost endlessly expandable yeah and and it needs to be but he managed to do it yeah. he also found ways of economically doing it by having like those expansion books and stuff like that with a different map and a different puzzle and that was really clever the way he did that in terms of clinic clinic, clinic, whatever you want to call it, you have to just be aware that you're going to have to embrace expansions and you're going to have to want this puzzle to be slightly different and that's going to engage you. Mm. That you think, all right, this is a slightly different puzzle. I play this two or three times. I feel like I've more or less solved this 
twist on this puzzle. Now I need the next expansion. Now I need the next expansion. And that's the system. And be aware of it. It doesn't have the base variety within plays where this and an expansion will, will give you that. It's just the way it is. It's something to be aware of, though. Is that you summing up, or would you like to add some more? Nah, I think I'm done. I'm going to have to have a look through the expansions to see whether they twist me enough to make me invest. But a really, really worth a play for a brain-twisty, puzzly game. So, for myself, it was my number six, I think, um, in our top ten of 2019. I think it would have been higher if I'd have had those additional plays, because I don't think I would adjust to it or adapt to it as quickly as Ronan thinks he will. I think it's. Oh, I think. Oh, that that's a subtle thing. You think you'll get good at it, do you? Because I think there's so much to juggle here with making sure you obey the placement restrictions, making sure you have the parking and the right patience and minimizing your time, which we've all talked about. We, have, we didn't talk about hiring staff. And then there's a mechanic at the end of the, each round where you can only use the money you have earned that round to buy your prestige points, which are your which are the points that are going to win you the game. And then everything left behind, you've got to make a decision how much to keep because that's what's going to fund your improvements to the, to the next thing. So that's another choice. Loads and loads of choices. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the theme of talked about it ad nauseum uh, in terms of I really like hospital You mentioned games. theme hospital games. I'm not, you I was going to say hospital themed games. You really? <laughs> I like Dice Hospital. I like this. I like some older computer games that I'm not allowed to mention about it. <laughs> and for me, Clinique or Clinique is a an absolute winner and I think I'll be enjoying this for a while to come with all those expansions. Beautiful. We need to go to something lighter. Because we've gone heavy, heavy, and the fourth one's heavy as well. So, <laughs> we're going to Stella. Stella is a two-player, 30-minute game from... Am I allowed to say the name of the publisher? I don't know. I didn't even look to see who it was. Renegade. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> right, Matthew G's right here. You can say it. Renegade! Bastards! That's not his accent. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> it's published by Ben Pinchback and published. Designed by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. you got a telescope and a notebook, Sean. Yes. And you're just looking to... Seek out the night sky against the other player and discover some things and note them in your notebook and score the most points. Those things you're looking to look at. I'm going to use look a few more times. They've got five types of cards, asteroids and planets and moons, etc. You have a hand of two. You're then going to take a card from one of five numbered slots. Now, you don't have to play the same card, but you have to play a card. And when you play it, you're going to play it either into your telescope or into your notebook but the card will have a number on it usually from one to five apart from the very rare exception and whatever number you've played the card that's in that slot remember i said there's five cards on display and the slot's one to five that gets played into the other thing so if i play a three into my telescope whichever card is in the number three slot is going to get played into my notebook and vice versa if I did it the other way around. Mm-hmm. So when you draft the card, you're trying to still leave yourself options, although you can be clever. Take the three, play a three, and then you'll take a card from the top of the deck, and you are just taking a pot luck there. Why are you putting them into your telescope or your notebook? Your telescope's got 12 slots. You start with one in there. Cards of the same type must be adjacent to each other. And as well as having that number on them, which will do a few points at the end for sort of area scoring. They all have stars on them. Now, the stars are the most important thing because in your notebook, 
you make runs of the same type and you're trying to get runs of the same of adjacent numbers you're trying to get like a one two three in moons or a two three four five in planets whatever it might be because the number of cards you have in that run in that straight you multiply the number of stars of that type in your telescope and that will give you a point scoring for that sort of heavenly body so if you can get lots of stars of the same type with a run of the same type you're going to score an absolute ton of points the only other scoring you get is I said that the numbers on the cards will be a sort of area scoring thing. The telescope split into three areas. Whoever's got the highest total value in each of those three areas is going to score 10 points. And if you've got all five different heavenly bodies, you get a pity 10 points because it's not really the most efficient way to play and score points. Sean, Stella looks Stella. <laughs> Stella does look Stella. I did actually see quite more than I thought, people. More? More than I thought. Of comments saying that actually they like the initial setup with the with the dude or the girl with a telescope, and they felt that the cards actually ruined it for them. But yeah, strange. They all look lovely. The, the <laughs> yeah, what you're looking at the whatever the comets and the everything else. The planets. Oh, there's no comets. That's very silly. You know, no, there's no comets. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. asteroids. They do look beautiful, but the night sky is beautiful. Is it? It is. <laughs> Good to know. Okay. <laughs> Can I just say one thing about this game? It's it's one of those games I feel we talked about it with Unmatched. There's a lot of media circling around this game. There's a lot of videos out there. Oh, is there? Playthroughs and somebody not far from me did a, an overview video. I did. Was that one of the ones before before while we were the red-headed stepchild or after? No, 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 no. no. That was a proper one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a proper dice tower, branded and everything. Branded and everything. That's a full one. And no, no, no. lots of reviews about it. And there's not that much buzz in the forums. There's not that many people talking about it. You are it. the man of the people. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. You're our king of the pros. <laughs> uh, well, I bought it. On a, on a whim, just because it looked nice, and I then looked at the rule book and thought, oh, that whole drafting thing is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't part of a media front okay. or anything like that. He just, I think I'll go for Board Game Guru one day, <laughs> just on a whim. And yeah, there you go. But it's hard for games like this. I mean, how many games come out that are 20 quid or two yeah, player? Yeah, is it? Is it? How do they get traction? Interesting. Because Renegade's not going to support them, are they? Hey. Interesting. I was listening to. Um... Dan Hughes' latest podcast and talking with Mike, and they were talking of their predictions. For, yep. And whereas Mike was kind of of the opinion that publishers were going to find a way to get through by sort of making these conventions that go digital and getting like a big, like a UPS or somebody to sign up with them so they can deliver these games to people, Dan actually felt like the whole industry is going to shrink and games like this would stand out more. Why would this one stand out more? Well, the games, games in general will stand out more because the industry is going to shrink. Because there'll be fewer, less, games, fewer coming games coming out. And games in the future like this one, if it did come out, would get more attention because there's fewer. Should we just divert across to that point? Well, <laughs> I mean, Kickstarter is really ramped up, right? When you compare to how many were coming out during the middle of COVID, there was a handful. And this week, I'm looking at 30, 40 getting launched. People are going to go to that before they'll let their company collapse, I think. Ooh. I also think that people have got time at home. So people want to buy games. Now, one of the things that I actually quite like is that I have seen from, you know, it's only ever anecdotal, lots of people rediscovering old games they haven't paid enough. I just told you that a couple of nights ago, we just had a night of fillers. We never yeah. do that. Yeah. We just played Love Letter and we played Parade and we played uh, Best Treehouse Ever and sort of these games that we never play anymore. Mm-hmm. 
came out again and it's great and it's lovely because we're sitting around and it's like, what should we do? Yeah. We've seen each other a lot in the last few months. But I think the, the main crux of that will become apparent one, once August hits and there's no Gen Con, once October hits and there's no Essen, that, that's the main driver for the year ahead, isn't it? Yeah, but I was thinking that, that it, it could be a healthy thing because that whole Essen obsession could get spread out. Hmm. And people won't just be looking to spend a grand in four days. They'll instead spend £1,500 over six months and some of these games will get time to breathe. I, I actually thought, before we mentioned that, I actually thought this could be a healthy thing. And we will stop with this whole convention obsession. The convention should be fun. I love Great Lessons in New Games. I cannot see that many new games. Yeah. I cannot see that many. Your game is more likely to sink at Essen than to, than to swim. So I, I, I'm hope, maybe I'm hopeful. I think that it will bring a change to the way these games mm. are coming out in this scene. I still don't know how you're going to get traction because we're still looking at, even now, 30, 40 new releases each week in the UK. Yeah. If you include expansions and all the rest of it, how is any other industry cope with this? How, how do books break free? It's all word of mouth. Yeah. I actually did think that the Kickstarter thing would kick off a little bit. I mean, there's some people that are fortunate enough to have kept their jobs and they're sitting at home, they're, they're doing home-cooked meals, they're not yeah. travelling. So they, not going they're to the getting, pub, not going, going to, to restaurants, yeah. theatre, cinema. Saving lots of money, money burning the hole in their pocket. Trip to cinema, what, 80 quid for yeah, family yeah. four, for popcorn and all that? Like so. sports events all, yeah. all out the window. All of a sudden, they've got this, they're lucky enough to have this little bit of extra cash and if they're into board games, Kickstarter's obviously, it's, it's a shining beacon. You're just projecting here. I am projecting. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Stellar itself, so it looks attracted me, but it's from reading the rule book that I actually bought it. And it was a lot to do with the way that you draft and the fact that you're actually interacting with each other. And you need to keep an eye on the other player. It is very gentle. Mechanically, it's very simple. You can play it with younger kids they'll be able to play mm-hmm. now the, the clever thing about it is they won't win because mm-hmm. you have to play well and you have to plan ahead you have to judge okay if I take a five I'm not going to get stuck with this card am I I'm going to be able to work my way out of it but you don't have perfect information what's coming up you have to anticipate what the other player is likely to draft mm-hmm. out of that offer of five cards and say okay they're likely to take the two working off that what's my best move now and I think the more into games you are the more it gives you back you can play it at a very superficial level but you can be a little bit deeper into it yeah it's one of the things from all the reviews i i watched about this to sort of get a feel for the game was that it was more puzzly than they thought it was going to be they thought it was going to be a very light sort of drafting game but the puzzle part of the game struck sort of hit them harder than they thought yeah yeah that's what i just said yeah yes Yes, okay. I've got nothing else to say. It looks nice. I wouldn't mind playing it. Uh, Ronan, what are your final thoughts? You can get clogged up in a hand by playing badly. You can really sit there and go, oh, I'm completely stuck here. I've got no good move. I have to take a couple of bad moves to get out of it. So you're trying to avoid that, but it, you don't know enough about what cards and you're able to, to thoroughly plan your way out. So you're constantly thinking on your feet, but it's gentle. And even the blocking is gentle. And there's two of each card. If someone desperately needs the two of something, you can take it. But if you don't have a way of getting that back out of your hand, you can clog your own hand up. So, and you can only have a hand of three. So there's a definite balance to how much you're screwing other person over and how much you're planning your own moves. But if you leave someone with a type, like say, I'm, I'm never touching planets. I don't want them. I'm not going to score them. If you let the other person run rampant on them and planets happen to come out of the deck, and most of it gets used every game, then they're gonna, they can score an absolute ton in one type and win just off that. 
Mm-hmm. So you always have to be aware of each other, but it's nice and it's fun and it feels gentle. So it's stinky, it's gentle, it's attractive, good players rewarded. I recommend it. Now, it's not earth-shattering. Would it make my top 10 for 2020? Probably not, but it's a thinker for that. So... It's, it's, Stellar is worth some some attention. Clever game. Very good. Okay, so my Vitale Lacerda obsession continues, and I've just dropped it on Roland that uh, myself and Natalie are going to do a pit fight in the near future, throwing all the Vitale Lacerda games into into the pit and seeing which one... Don't look at me. Don't look at me for I'm support. I'm not, I'm not supporting <laughs> you. You're a weirdo. I've learned Gallerist. I'm excited about playing that, so that'll be the next one I'm playing. But this one, Ronan, <laughs> let's talk about this one. Oh, and can I just jump back? No, tell us what the name of the game is. I'm dying here. What is it? We will be talking about Liz Bower. Okay. I do want to jump back because we kind of piggybacked on Dan Hughes' podcast and didn't say what it was. It's sporadically bored. Go and listen to it. <laughs> no one listens to this. You might just get that one, <laughs> one listener out of us, all right? Your mum might decide to listen to him. Sure. <laughs> okay, so Lisboa, obviously designed by Levita Lacerda, coming from Eagle Griffin Games. The story behind this one is in 1755, Lisboa suffered an earthquake, and that was followed by a tsunami, and that was followed by three days of fire, uh, le- obviously leaving the city almost destroyed. The king and the prime minister worked with some prominent architects to rebuild the city. And we're going to play noble families who are working with the king et al. to rebuild the city better than ever. King's name's not et al. Yeah, as you know. No, no, no are you sure? Yeah, I am oh, sure. damn, I got that wrong. And at the same time, you're going to try and earn yourself some influence and power in the court. I'm he's, amused myself. He's, he's laughing at his own joke. Don't let me distract you. <laughs> he's sitting there wobbling in the corner. Uh, so how do you play this game? So the board itself is... I don't know one knows how to play this game. Nobody knows. So you don't even know. I've played it. I don't know how to play it. We're gonna, I'm going to go roughly over the <laughs> here. So the board itself is split into two distinct areas. You've got on one side, you've got the rural court and an influence track. And on the other side, you've got a grid which represents the city of Lisboa itself. And that's... God, he's now mocking my hand movements, which he does exactly the same. He's Missy Elliotting at the microphone. <laughs> this is what you do, yeah. Around this grid are all the rubble that you've got to clear, etc. So, that's, did you know the bit the game. in get your in uh, get your freak on Missy Elliot? Get your freak on. You know she does the thing where she's saying things that aren't words. Yeah, she's saying the lyrics backwards. Oh, is that what it is? You were this old when you learned that. This day old. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, after that bombshell. (laughs) So you've got the Royal Court and the city itself. Generally, we are looking to get assistance from three prominent characters, the King, the Prime Minister, and the Master Builder. This is to both build up Lisboa and draw people to new business by erecting landmarks and prominent public buildings. This is really hard if you're going to snigger at every every mention of erect, because there's a lot in here. (laughs) There's a lot of erections, right? It's a game about erections. <laughs> it's a Vital game, so I need that. <laughs> well, I'm playing it, obviously. And you're going to score a score after a period of time and at the end of the game. This is not going to go well, is it? On a turn, you are going to either play a card or discard a card and then take a card. <laughs> There's your initial functions in the game. You're going to play a card to one of the areas. You can discard one to get one gold. It always says, this is not recommended. No. 
No one ever going to do that. No one ever going to do that. And then after that, you're going to take a card back into your hand. Playing a card, you either play it into your portfolio, and you either play a noble card tucked downwards for the power, and they're going to give you some sort of influence bonus at the top. You've got a treasury card, which is going to be tucked into the bottom, and you're going to earn money from the treasury and get an ongoing power. Then... You get to sell some goods using the ship or trade with the nobles, use some of their noble powers. Which is actually worker placement. Selling to nobles, it's actually placing on a worker placement. Yeah, you're placing goods yeah. trading with the nobles. And the second place you can play a card is into the royal court. So you're going to match the noble and you're going to use the actions of that particular noble. To do this, you have to pay influence. This is one of the ways you get to use the main action of the noble whose card you have played. And you can also use some of the smaller tokens. Others can also follow by they using can. a favour token. A favour, that's correct. There you go. We have... Don't forget to sponsor events, Sean. Can you sponsor events? Yeah, because if it's not a person's face on the card, if it's a treasury card, you can pay to do the action off the treasury card. Yes, I'm doing that now. Good. I'm I thought just, I'd help out. Get to its treasury card. Yeah, you are. You pay lost. money to take the action. You look at me a bit panicked. I thought I'd in and out. I'd lost my spot. Treasury cards. Pay money to take the action in the card. Okay, okay. So some of the actions available once you do get through to that point are you, you look can. So panicked. <laughs> I'm here for you. You can open a public building room. You can erect. A public <laughs> you can erect a store in the city and to do both these you're going to have to pay to clear the rubble and you're going to to score off these in game you're going to have to match the public building colour to the row or column of your your shop yes yeah it's and on a grid it's on a grid and the That's public correct. builders go around the outside and That's they right. trigger the stores that have been built on that particular thing, as long as, as the, you said, the, the colour matching, matches. matching colour. Between us, we'll get half We'll get there. We'll get somewhere there. You can also, later on, when you have stores, you can produce goods. You can. That's the way you're going to generate goods. But that will push their price down, Sean. It will. It will. For selling on ships. Remember that back right in the first action. We didn't even talk about officials yet. You can recruit officials. What do officials do? They make it more expensive for others to take, others to take noble actions. That is true. And, and they you also... Them. You need them, Sean. You need them... Because they're a cost to opening the public building. They are the cost to opening the public building. <laughs> they are. That's the cost and where you get the rubble from. It's not money it costs for a public building. It's officials. There you go. You can build. None of this is making any sense. No, it hasn't. hasn't played you it. can build or upgrade a ship. This is how you're going to sell those goods that you've earned from your shops once you've put, built the shops in the grid and score the points. But if you produce them, you put the cost of them down. But when you sell them now, you get the money from the cost. <laughs> nice, simple one. You can take a decree, and that's going to score your end of game scoring. Oh, yeah. Rachel. <laughs> decree lady. And we have another one. We haven't talked about the Cardinal. No, no. Do you know what, though? We needn't. Do you know? No, because I've written down here, church actions are superfluous. It can be quite handy, though. Yeah, but they didn't think when you Because you're moving around, there's a, there's a little tiny track in the middle of the board. There is. And you move the cardinal around the board, and whatever tokens you land next to, you have a choice of which one to take, and those tokens can be quite handy. Don't forget, it also triggers an influence. It, it, yeah, also, it is needed, because it's the way the economy builds up, and the treasury gets... But you could just again. influence some money now. Influence some money. It's like a timer on the game, but it's an overly complicated one. <laughs> where you have to take those tokens, but in order to trigger an influence, you have to give one of those tokens back. And we talked about royal favours. You can use an action to get one of those royal favours so that you can follow on from people. You can. Ronan, I'm going to flip my page over because this is a two-page. Did you say your tome? 
I did. I've lost my page. Here we go. End of game points. Lots of things. Ships. Sets of rubble cubes. Majorities installed types. Money left. Decree cards. Putting state officials in the public buildings. Remaining favour tiles. All of those score you points. They score the, they, they do. They are. Shall we start simple and build? <laughs> that was how you Lisboa. Right. The that's yeah, that's not how you Lisboa. That's how two fat Egypts in Lisboa. <laughs> and that earthquake caused the flood in Galway. Remember I told you that? You did tell me that. Washed the bridge away. It was this earthquake. There, there yeah. you go. And we think a flood in Mum well no, there was not really a hometown it didn't exist, but that area. Mm. Blue Bay, yeah. There you go. Mm. Similar things happens when we fall off a fishing boat, but <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> There's Bower Ronan. It's another one where Mr. O'Toole has worked his Celtic magic. Celtic? He's Irish, isn't he? Oh, he doesn't he just live down under or something? Yeah, I think he's Irish. Oh, fair play to him. There you go. Good. <laughs> he's gone up in your estimations. Ah, no, Maybe. no, you know, whatever, because I absolutely <laughs> hate the look of it. <laughs> oh, do you? There you go. I said I'm not a fan of the overall look. No, I, look, but he is... Amazing, our board game graphic design and and he did an interview with someone. Who did he talk to? Dan, and he talked about it all yeah. about graphic. Yeah, it was very interesting. Again, that was a surprisingly board. We'll just plug them again. Yeah. Much better podcast than this. <laughs> Is that hard? <laughs> Throw a dart at a podcast board. Um, right, but so he he clearly knows a lot more about talking about than I do. And this was done for a reason. It was made to look in a particular style to invoke themes off the style of Portugal then because obviously it was an absolute economic and cultural powerhouse at that time so I understand why it's just you know the whole thing about Messi about the table about the board about cars that I can't think of things are too messy and to me it's a little bit too messy and it just doesn't help me understand the game for me it was more the pastel sort of colours there was was, it all felt a bit samey and I think the thought that I came to my mind it felt authentic although not visually appealing to me I'll go along with that I mean you're, you're much more sophisticated <laughs> visually than I am I was just a bit oh, this isn't what I would choose it to be I don't think it's overall attractive but I understand why someone else might think that just here's here's a little um, not, not a sideline because it's, it's about this game but about all of those Eagle Griffin games they are very well made in terms of component quality is high, but they absolutely have to be because price is very high. Now, he, <sighs> oh, he's sitting back now. The arms are folded. <laughs> now, I tell you now, let me have a little think about yeah. that. Now, right, when I find one whose gameplay is good enough, I'm perfectly happy to pay that money because the quality is so good. The quality of this is fantastic. Is it £120? Fantastic. No. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can you get it for less than that? I'll look it up in a second. You I'll did. You that's, the, that's the reason you own it, because you found it cheaper. <laughs> yeah, I think I got it for 70. That's right, yeah, that's, right, yeah. Which is a lot of money for a game. A lot of money, yes. But I had looked into it enough that this is the Lacerda I wanted to start with. That I was like, this is the one that most appeals to me. Oh, I'm going to play Kanban. I might play one or two others, but, but one that I want to actually dig into mm-hmm. and play a lot of times. I was like, this bow is the one, you know, to try on a Lacerda. If the gameplay is good enough, it's worth that money. What it puts me off with doing is that I never purchase them to see if the gameplay is good enough because I'm not spending those prices. <laughs> I'm not paying those prices. I'm not paying those prices. I'm not paying those prices 
to discover a game as a disappointment. It's too much for what you get. Only if it marries the great gameplay will I then say, okay, that's worth the investment. But that that requires me to have some plays of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think for, for me, it kind of tickles my, my illness in that I do love games to look good and to feel good and to have that sort of that table presence and all of the Eagle Griffin games do do that. They have the lovely tray that they come in where you can put the components. The board's great quality. The cards are great quality. The, the cardboard uh, chits and on tokens are brilliant quality. They come with little baggies of spares in case you run out of things. And yeah, that's my illness. And I know it's my illness and I, I completely add up to it. But I do love playing with those games. I've got but, some bad news, by the way. Go on. It looks like this bar is out of print. Is it? <laughs> you can maybe get a copy for 93 quid, but on Amazon it's 153 quid. Wow. Yeah, no. 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 No, no even I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I got my copy at Gallerist. I searched and searched because it is, you can only get it from Eagle themselves. And I think that is a, a particular, what's the word that I'm looking for? I don't know. I'm just shaking my head. It's a weirdo. <laughs> Absolute weirdo. But no, I didn't get it from Eagle. I found it from a random American store that do Kickstarter versions of games. And it cost me less than if I bought it from this country presently. Right, fine. It's like $90 or something. Really? $90? But I had to pay 30 quid. I had to pay $400 shipping. No, not shipping. um, (laughs) Import. Import tax when it got here. I got whacked on that for Dino Shift. Anyway, right. Moving on from the looks and the price, the actual Mm -hmm. play. Yes. It's a Lacerda. It starts... No, 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 we're not having that. No, you're having it because it's what it is. No. It starts simple and then it branches off. I don't think it starts simple. I think it starts simply in that you've got... I either play a card to my portfolio or the Royal Court or I discard a card. That's that's a very simple start to a game and then it avalanches into options. But the, the problem with this is, and indeed with other Lacerdas I've played, is it doesn't start simple. It becomes simple towards the end of the game. At the beginning of the game, you do not know how to get to where you need to get to. While the actions themselves might be simple, to see how I'm going to take these actions and turn them into a series of actions to efficiently produce something, which will then re-kickstart what I'm trying to do, so that I I can go through that cycle again of production, whatever it might be, sale, card, to then get advanced by building something. To start it again, to go again, to go again, is difficult. And with these games, it's easy to not find the gear in which you should be running your engine and therefore to misfire and misfire and misfire and have it frustrating, whereby by the end of your first game, to build a building, you go, yeah, I just do this and this, I've done it, sell them, do that, do this, because I have stuff then. He never starts you off with anything. Yeah, I think we were going towards the same point, but from different standpoints. I think mechanically, the choice of one... Play a card to one of three locations, basically, is mechanically simple. I've got two points to make on that. Mm-hmm. One, it is mechanically simple. It has not been explained for humans in the rulebook. <laughs> <laughs> Every Lucerta game, you have to play a learning game. He, but he's t- trying to teach you everything before he's taught you anything. Yeah, and he inter- and the rule book kind of throws in bits of history and bits of. I actually quite like that. I because... like it, but not 
Not when I'm first learning. No, it helped me thematically Did you? Okay. to then be able to teach it. It kind of put me off because I started thinking, oh, that's interesting. Now, where was I? Well, oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> but, but you can have just at the beginning, right? You can have this. Here is the rules written in human, right? <laughs> Here's the structure of the game. And then we're going to go into all the details later. You can say, look, mate, there are two things you can do with these cards. You put them on your board. If you put them on your board, that doesn't trigger an action. You're going to have to do something with your goods. You're selling them somewhere, to the ship or to the nobles. That's half the things you can do. The second thing you can do is look at the picture on the card. You can do one thing with that picture. If it's a noble, you can go to that noble. If it's a treasury, you can spend money to do it. So each card has got one use. Hmm. There's only one thing you can do with the card. Because the tuck-in for influence, it's a complicated process, but you don't really need to know it. And it's taught as if it's completely vital. As if the tucking is the important thing. It's not. The tucking is a thing that happens extra to what you're doing, and you need to work out how to do it to play well. Mm. You need to learn how to play before you know that. The getting of influence, the reasons for tucking things, the manipulation of the treasury prices is secondary to what you're trying to do, but is taught as the first thing. I 70% agree with you. That is very accurate. (laughs) I, I see, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and it doesn't, the format of the rules isn't how I would ideally like them, but I do think by the end of that rule book, it all starts to come together in my mind, and I start thinking, I'm, I, I think I know how to play this game. You're lying. Am I lying? <laughs> how long did it take you from opening the rule book to finishing you, your first game? You're, you're asking the wrong person, because I read incredibly slowly. Well, you're deficient, but that's okay. <laughs> I am deficient. How long from opening that rule book, in terms of investment, not no, if you took breaks or whatever, to finishing your first game? I'm going against my own point here because I cheated with this one and I watched the gaming rules video. Okay, then add that in as the time you spend. Add it all together. Oh, I would say six hours. I've got six hours written down <laughs> because on a Sunday, I said to Rachel, do you want to try and take on this big beast of a game? She went, yeah, sure, honey. Okay, I'm going to have to learn this. It's going to take me a while. She went off and did whatever she had to do, just reading, just whatever. I sat down with the book, I read it, punched it, laid it out, brought her over. We had a chat, talked through it, played. It took us six hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, it doesn't need to be six hours. I shouldn't have to wade through that rule book. And I had to. And when I finished the rule book, I didn't know how to play. And when I started taking my first few turns, I didn't know how to play. I knew how to take some actions. It can be written in such a clearer and more helpful format mm. that guides you through. I promise you, I guarantee you, I can teach people this game in no more than 20 minutes and they will know what they are going to do. Yeah, it is one of something that you're very good at te- teaching games. Oh, yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> I don't mean just me. No, no, I mean, I people can do that. For me, and I, I, again, this is kind of proving your point a little bit. I had watched the Gaming Rules video I had a much clearer idea of what was going on in our first game with Natalie, whereas she was... And I'd explained the rules as I'd interpreted them, and I'd got, for once, I'd got most of the rules in there, and they were all correct. She just didn't really know what she was doing. I probably I probably less her did it. We went through the rule book in the, in the way it's written. I already had an idea of what's going, so I was... That's kind of proving my point. Yeah, yeah, that's what if I'm saying. If you go in yeah. the order of the rule book, yeah, yeah, it's I'm a proving. terrible yeah, way yeah, to Yeah, I'm going, going with you on this one, because I'm thinking about it now, and Natalie had no idea the first turn round until right at the end, and she really didn't like it the first go round. 
I mean, and her view on the second and third plays completely flipped. She was like, actually, this is really good. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, we'll get to my opinions later. Okay. I'll tell you what we have to be careful of here, all right? There are some lunatics in this world. Oh, there. There are. Okay. And they put themselves through hours of sweat and pain and danger in order to, for example, climb a mountain. They will then have a feeling of euphoria having got that achievement and tricked themselves that the process was enjoyable. <laughs> the process was not enjoyable. The feat of having finished it brought you the enjoyment. <laughs> and this is the psychological trick we need to be aware of when considering Liz power. <laughs> it is hard to do anything. It is tough work. And as I said, it was taking the grail, but in a completely different way here. You have to enjoy that grindy Euro mm-hmm. process of fighting through the game yeah. to get to where you want to be. And But again, you're talking about the, the sense of reward at the end as well, though. You, you do feel I'd like rather enjoy the something. six hours <laughs> than get to the end and go, oh, God, that's over. We got through it. I didn't. I didn't have that reaction. I went. That was. That was tough. I feel like I've had a proper mental brain workout, and I'm. I'm glad of what I've achieved because I've actually not done as badly as it looked like I was going to do. Well, I did. And d- decreed into. Oh, you got mushed, didn't you? Oh, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, is it worth the six hours to learn and play? Is it worth the effort? Is it worth the struggling with the obtuse rule book? These are the questions one must ask oneself every time you come across a Lacerda game. And he, for me, he's a fecking blade dancer. And he's dancing right along the razor's edge, all right? And he cannot stay in the middle forever. He's either going to tip one side and I'll go, <laughs> that was worth it. I'm glad I got this game and played it. What a good experience. Or he's going to tip the other side and I'm going to begrudge those many, many hours of investment. For Lisboa, he tips into enjoyment. Right. And it was worth it. And I had a good time. And I'm eager to get it back to the table. And I recommend it. I do too. I We know that. You bought 82 Lucerna. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought um, the player interaction, which you haven't really talked about, it was subtle. Because uh, you're, you're looking to see where people are scoring, and then you, you not really when I played. Well, <laughs> and then, but then it flips to the obvious with the favour tokens, which is an obviously mechanic to sort of engineer player interaction. Slight issues with setup times on his games. I've found, uh, for, especially for the first game, when you not don't know where everything goes. I think once you get into the second and third games. It gets quicker, but the first one, it's all, it took us like half an hour just to set it up. I actually think it, the, the components help with this one, and the different colour card backs are very clear. You use the reds, then the blues, and the purple, yeah. browns, and purple, whatever it might mm-hmm. be. But the decks are set up very nicely, and the architect tokens are very clear what's what, and everything's separated out nicely. So I, I think the components help along those lines, which is why I say I think you know, it all did a really good job, even if it's not to my taste. Cool. Right, so the theme on this one, again, everything makes sense. You can you can join the dots. Does it always feel like I'm building a city? Maybe not, but I'm certainly invested in the theme and the sort of disaster that befell Lisboa. Daunting but rewarding is, is what I was saying about Lisboa. Lots to think about, but the theming and iconography make it easier than it could have been. And I thoroughly enjoyed my forays into Lisboa. And that was Lisboa. Right, Sean. 
It's expansion time, and not just our COVID wastelines. <laughs> Architects of the West Kingdom, Age of Artisans is an expansion for Architects of the West Kingdom, and it rolls off the tongue. Shem Phillips, SJ McDonald, you know the game or you don't, so I'm going to go through this quickly. <laughs> it adds an orange player, meaning you can now play with six players if you think that will make it more fun. It adds artisan workers. Now, those workers count as two workers the first time you place them, and they avoid the loss of one virtue the first time you place them, which gives you a handy kickstart to what you're trying to do. So if you desperately need two rock now, you can place that in and get the rock. I think it was also added to not lose the virtue as a way to kickstart the black market because people tended to avoid it. Because if you use it too much, you get arrested. And also, you wouldn't be able to build in the cathedral if you go below five virtue. People are starting on seven. I have a feeling that they, they had a look at that and said... People aren't using this enough. How do we do it? Oh, here's a way of avoiding loss of virtue. And it's also you've got the the quicker start. One of Matthew's issues with the game was the it was a very slow start and a slow grind. He felt to start getting in those resources. And I'm the, pulling a face at you. <laughs> Why are you pulling a face? Because after three turns and they're quick turns, you could have six wood. I know but that was his that was his quibble about it. He felt it was a bit of a grind, and he should stick to the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but but this this new piece, the artisan, is going to give you two straight straight off the bat. It's, it's a superpowered piece. It's very small though, because until it's it gets small, arrested or you take it back, it's not two two. But then uh, the next one doesn't count or something. So it's just the about next to one's again. two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You can, and this is the big thing we're talking about the artisans, where you've used a meeple. When you build in a cathedral or the building, as you'll know if you played the game, you have to put a meeple into the guild hall, and it stays there for the rest of the game. You may, as your action, lose another meeple and put it on top of one that you've already built with, but you can only do it once to each one you've built with. And in doing that, you may take a tool or an adornment. If you take an adornment, it costs you five money, two of which is tax, and you can add it to a building you've already built, only a building you've already built. And it's going to give you VP at the end of the game, and it's going to give you an instant bonus. Sean, an instant bonus, another way in which they're trying to get you things to get you move along and get you going on these one-offs to trigger on the process. Of the, whole, the, the whole expansion, it's, it's all about just quick little things that you can add in. It doesn't interfere with the, the flow of the game, which is the main reason I think we both liked it, is that it was a quick game. It was a quick flow to the game. It, it didn't outstay its welcome. So I think everything in this is not essential, but it's also not going to hinder the game. Is that your thought, is it? That's pretty much my thought on the whole thing. I, I haven't mean, finished yet. I, I wouldn't add a fifth, fifth player, really. Sixth. Is this six player? Oh, yeah. it's one to five. Okay, I wouldn't add a six player, right? <laughs> Wait, I haven't talked about tools yet. Wait for it. Go on, tools. There's tools. When you put the, the meeple on top of the meeple in the building, in the guild uh, hall, you can, instead of taking a dormant, take a tool, which is free, it adds to your apprentice, and it will give you something that triggers every time that apprentice triggers. So mm-hmm. if the apprentice triggers when you go to the king's storehouse, it will trigger and give you the extra thing. Sean, it's another small bonus that kicks you going and gets you more stuff coming yeah, in. Yeah, and it's not quite as powerful as the building adornment, but it's this um, uh, end-of-game scoring, I believe, uh, attached to how many tools you've got. That's correct. A small amount. Yeah, you get like one, three, five, whatever, for having one, two, three, yeah. four, five. And it also has new apprentices and buildings, most of which are themed into having adornments and tools. You just shuffle them into the deck. This should be called Architects of the West Kingdom, Zoomy Muck Zoom. <laughs> okay. 
I've got nothing to say to that. Well, zoom in. Very tough. Have more, have more. Get going. Build. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> okay, zoom in. Right, then, I just, I suppose this sort of uh, falls into your summing up because I haven't played it. Is it a must have? Do you, do you have to have this expansion? I don't. Mm-hmm. But I don't like Dominion Prosperity. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't. I don't like Caverna to Agricola. I don't like, oh, here's the thing to make this game even easier and you get more stuff. So it becomes, how, how quickly can we possibly play this game? I got a quote about speed gamers the other day. So you know speed gamers, when we're going in, they just want to get through it as quickly as possible. Yeah. Isn't it weird that speed gamers are spending all their time in a game trying not to be in that game? Kind of what I feel like about this expansion <laughs> is trying to get you to get through the game quicker. And you get more stuff, here's more stuff, here's more stuff, go, 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 go. Maybe it's to address what people like Matthew saw in it because if he said it was a slow start they've gone well you can get stuff easier Mm. I never thought it was a slow start I think it's always very quick that you can get things in and in fact that's one of the things I like about the game that you have to hair trigger and as soon as someone has two apprentices and certainly three in an area you've got to start arrested because next time they go there they're getting four stuff and that's enough for them to really start building one two three cards and you know they've got ten things if you let them build up four dudes in the quarry just four turns so the second, so you're watching each other all the time, and the second someone looks like they're going for a run on something, you have to stimmy them with an arrest. And that's how we play that we're, oh, 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 that's what you're going for. You can't get in the forest. You can't go more than two. Well, I'm on top of you here. You're not, you're not, you know. Yeah, yeah. And this one would then allow them, so they got their two in there. They got arrested. They got two more. They got arrested. They got six. Really, they want eight for their plan. Oh, don't worry. I'll just grab one of these that will give me the two extra, <laughs> which you can't stop me doing. And now I'm going to go on my run and do my own little thing and, and run up the... So it, it addresses the problem I didn't see. The, the problem we have in it, now I very rarely play more than three, is that everyone just runs up the cathedral as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because when you build a cathedral, you're going to get a virtue and you're going to get a bonus for doing it the first few times. Mm-hmm. So getting that done quickly. And then the difference between having like the second highest tier in the cathedral and the highest is 12 points, to 20 points, and can be a big difference, right? Mm. And... Because you're getting stuff for building in the cathedral, it's not slowing you down that much. And then because you get the bonuses from Age of Artisans, that's not slowing you down. That's helping you make up the difference, if you like. So it actually made the cathedral rush worse, which is the opposite of what I wanted. For me, for me, I, I, learning about this because you, you made me because I never really thought I wanted this game, this expansion until now. And looking into it, it actually it tickled me. It, I went the other way from you. I want, I wanted more. I wanted that. Sometimes I despair of you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. So, is that you done with artisans? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I haven't summed up. I'm going to look some up. Cool. It's made a quick game even quicker and easier. It's very well done for what it does. Mm-hmm. It adds in. It's seamless. It all fits in. There's a couple of little things that are blue tacked to the board. Sorry if that horrifies anyone. <laughs> so they stick in place. It's got more variety. It's nice. I don't think it's going to change any minds. You either like Architects of the West Kingdom or you don't. If you play it like us and it's very cutthroat and you're stimming and you're trying to keep things small and short and not let people really make big moves, it's not going to help that. If you see it as just a pure race, you leave each other alone and you just race up stuff as quickly as you can to build up as quickly as you can, then it helps that style of play. So how do you play it? And then you'll work out whether it's really for you or not. So, moving on to a little game that came out recently, Fallout Shelter, designed by Andrew Fisher, coming from Fantasy Flight Games. This is set in the Fallout world, where we are vault officers, trying to become the next overseer 
by making sure that the dwellers in your area of the vault are the happiest. You're going to begin the game with a top floor of the vault, including an out- the outside area available as worker placement spaces. And you're going to start with a small amount of workers, I believe it's two. And on each floor, a lift lobby that is the beginnings of each player's own floor of the vault. There are also additional rooms available to be built, items to obtain, and creatures from the wasteland to repel. The aim of the game is to place your workers to gather resources, which are water, food, and energy, build more rooms, get more workers, repel the wasteland creatures, and earn happiness points to win. Also, to note, they do employ the special abilities from Fallout, where you can get a worker to specialise in one of the abilities, and I always look this up because I can never remember, strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. And when they do this, some worker locations offer additional rewards. I'm getting pointed at in the eye. Did you notice that each player has got a maximum of seven workers, Mm -hmm. right? True did notice this. Mm. Each of them has got a model that relates to one of those. Yes, all the little models are different. Yeah, and they all relate to yeah, one of those to things. Yeah, the stretch dude, one, yeah, the luck yeah. one, or the yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. Nice touch. It is a nice it, touch. He never mentions those special things. Anyone in the, in the rule book? He doesn't know. <laughs> no, but they are, that's what they are. Well, let's start there, shall we? Well, let's start with how the game ends. <laughs> so, um, the game ends when one player has gone has built, built. their entire floor, which is. Runners flashing six at me. Six rooms. Six or... rooms. All the deck runs. Out. Never going to happen. <laughs> Never going to happen, though. And, yeah, whoever's got the most happiness by that point is the winner. Now, we started talking about the production, Ronan. A really, really, surprisingly beautiful production with lots of attention to detail. How is it surprising? It's Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight got quite samey with their stuff. Recently. Get out! No, it didn't, it didn't feel like a Fantasy Flight production. Yeah, it did. No. You're wrong. The little different, the little different pit boys, aren't they? they? They were a lovely touch. I like the luminous green; really fits in with the Fallout theme. Only problem I had: brown and white, blue and yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown and white. Why? What rubbish colours? Why are they rubbish? They're different to anything else. I don't care. Yeah, just because you're wrong. I don't care. I They're fine. See, I think you see the world in grey. Well, maybe I do. I don't care <laughs> the, what the player colours are. No, no, no. Of course it's a good production. It's Fantasy Flight. It's a massive IP. This is going to be on sale in your Waterstones, your Barnes & Nobles, your Targets, whatever. This is for a bigger market than us and our audience. Mm -hmm. Agreed, agreed. The game starts where you just start with two workers, Ronan. So it kind of starts you off slow. Is it, would you say it's too obvious that you need to just get more workers in straight away? Yes. Okay, moving on. Uh, (laughs) Uh, especially scaling. So at lower, lower player counts, mm-hmm. you should start with more workers because there's no competition for places. You're I, not going to run out. My next, my next point, player count is two players, two are unconfrontational because you're not getting in. So you should place. start with three or four workers yeah, yeah. and you'll be out because all you're doing is finding ways. Like you'll just rotate whether you're getting, because you can get new workers, obviously it's one of the basic actions. You're, mm-hmm. There's one where you spend resources, the one that's cost you, you have to injure someone. Mm-hmm. And then basically we just rotate them until we get to the point where we've both got five or six or something, and then we actually start playing. Yeah, It's a waste of everyone's life. It's not a long game. It's a very quick game, under an hour. But you're just wasting time. And the other issue I have with scaling is that, you're right, the, the six rooms are out there. There's 12 spots. And when we start off, there's only four workers with two players. Yeah. But if you start with four players, you have eight workers, and there's more competition, and it's more mm-hmm. interesting. So they should have found a better way to scale the game. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fair comment. We did find that the first half of the game was quite it wasn't exi- as exciting as the the last part of the game because we we were just able to do whatever we wanted. And even then, when people start building their rooms, there tends to always be an option for you. It's just much tighter with more than two. Yeah, definitely. I think, but then I think luck of um, dice rolls and availability of rooms, and even the, when you're fighting monsters, I think uh, that. Go on, explain the dice rolls. Which one? Like? So, at the beginning of each round, you're going to roll two dice, and that's going to dictate where the sort of wasteland creatures are going to come in and invade the, each floor of the vault, including your own personal floors. If you roll a seven then you're not going to get a monster. So if you roll two or three sevens in the game, you might be well ahead of someone who nah, just rolls nah, you're crazy. You want the hazards because the hazards score you points. I was gutted if I rolled a seven or if I roll like a, a four and I've, I've built the high side because every time one came, I can deal with it and it's going to score me points. And it's such a tight game because people are all going to build five or six rooms, we found. You stay close to each other all the way through. Mm. The decider was who had dealt with most hazards. We found it the other way. We, I got no hazards at all on my floor. Nat got loads, and she kept having her her, her dudes knocked out and having to go into recovery. Because you, but she's scoring points for that. By the time you got seven, having one dude no, knocked out, is... no, you only score points for when when you defeat the monster. Yeah, yeah, but she wasn't defeating the monster. Why she, did she, she wasn't get getting some guns. Enough. Well, she yeah, but she had, then she had to go out and get guns, and all the time I was building rooms. While she was having to try and get rid of stuff on oh, my Oh man, floor. this was not our experience. Like, so you just send one dude out to get you a gun, you've got the gun, you send the next dude to fight. It was really simple to deal with hazards, we found anyway. Ooh. Like, you didn't need massive rolls to deal with them. I think she was unlucky, don't get me wrong, which is why I mentioned the, the sort of dice roll with luck. There is, just to bring people's attention that there is that luck factor in it to a degree. I think she was particularly unlucky. I think it needs to be mentioned. You have to deal with them every turn. Yeah. You know, did you find yourselves going into each other's rooms much and giving away the resource? Not at first. I think towards the end of the game, if somebody, water tended to be the, the mm. hardest resource to get. So uh, in our game, I managed to get, I think, two, the two water rooms, the really good water rooms that came up. Yeah. And Nat was kind of forced into my rooms. Yeah, yeah, that happened more, as well. But if you, if you get, so what I found to counter it was, so Sean sent, mentioned you can train your workers up for one round to have to be boosted in one particular stat. Mm-hmm. So let's say the water needed, let's say it was intelligence. I built rooms that allowed me to train intelligence. Yeah. yeah so that when I went enough. in next time, I'd get four water and you don't yeah. get one thing. And so there's a way around it. A yeah. little way to think yeah. around it and stuff like that. And the touches with the special characteristics and the way they link to what rooms you train in. So it would be like a library would give you intelligence. Yeah. But a gym would give you strength. But mm-hmm. it's not it's not mentioned anywhere. No, but it's just all it's just all nice little Yeah, flourishes. and then the strength would be used somewhere that made sense. Yeah. And then when you go out to the wasteland looking for items they were all from the Fallout world and stuff like that. And it's very much the cutesy end. (laughs) It's the cutesy end of Fallout as as per the app rather than the hardcore going around murdering everyone of Fallout 4. It's it's all based around the Pip-Boy thing that you wear on your wrist. There's lots of thematic touches there that don't force Mm -hmm. down your throat, but if you know the the whole milieu, you're going to appreciate more. Cool. I think I've said all I need to say about it. I'm going to say one more thing. Go for it. Ellie and I reviewed Lair on our last pit fight for small box games. Yeah, I remember. This is so similar to Lair. 
Man, like, I don't know whether them dudes have got to have a word with their 15 or whatever. <laughs> I watched you playing it in the um, aircon. Yes. And didn't remind me of it, just you're watching you. Building a lair, it's underground, you've got a central column, you're trying to build rooms out from it, there's a central area above that's Ooh. always the same, your rooms have different functions. Right. Lair or Fallout shelter. Oh, well, well yeah, yeah, in that case, lair is less polished but more ambitious. Mm-hmm. And has slightly more to it. Fallout is smooth, but I think it's been smoothed off too much and it doesn't feel crafted. It doesn't feel like the user experience is at the heart of it. The fact they're making a Fallout Shelter game is at the heart of it. So they haven't done those refinements to say, if you're playing with two players, do this and it'll be better. If you're playing with four, do that and it'll be better. It's just, here it is, it covers the bases, it's a worker placement, get on with it. I think Lair is rougher, but better. Okay, is that you summing up as well? Yeah. So for me, I think it's a very easy introduction to worker placement with a great theme delivered well. For me, it also feels like a really good travel game. We've got the metal tin that's not going to dent too much, and it's a portable package. Yes, it takes up a bit of real estate on the on the table, laying out all the cards, but it just feels like a really good travel game because it's not too taxing. If you want a quick game before you go to bed after a long day, perfect. For now, I'm quite charmed by Fallout. I like the IP and I like the design values of the components, etc. in the game, but I'm not sure how many games I'm going to get of Fallout only before I get bored of it. I don't think too many. You like it because it's pretty. I like it because it's pretty right now. <laughs> but, uh, but the prettiness will fade. <laughs> and I can see, Not I can see this being a Jamesy. Prettiness, Sean. Look at my inside prettiness. <laughs> I can see this being a Jamesy game where I go, I don't really want to get rid of it, James, because it's so pretty. Let's put it in your room. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The penultimate game of this is a throwback to in the Year of the Dragon, which is a 2007 game for two to five players, 90 minutes, Stefan Feld from Aaliyah. This is nostalgia, Sean, because yep. I played this pre-BGG login, so I don't know how many times I played it back in 2007, wow. 2008, but I remember, me login, that is not login being available on BGG. Mm. I just remembered that I really liked it and that it was bastard hard. Bastard hard, okay. I think this is before I got back into gaming, so... Yeah, I wasn't part of those games. I've never actually played it. Okay. The 10-year anniversary edition came out, Mm -hmm. and it was something like 50 quid. And I was like, oh, I don't know, mooching out, maybe. I had it in my basket a couple of times. Never took the plunge. We went to Aircon, and lo and behold, it was in shrink in the bring and buy for about 30 quid. And it was the special 10-year anniversary edition, Sean. (sighs) Yeah, amazing. I'm going to lick it. Yeah. Do you know how special it is? How special is it, Ronan? It got shite components. <laughs> I feel like they went and found cheaper than 2007 cardboard it's, to make this one. Mate, it's Alia. Alia and Ravensburger. They're just <laughs> atrocious. I was shocked. They've done nothing. They've done nothing to the graphic design. Never do. To the component quality, to the rule book. They've chucked in uh, like a mini expansion. But it's thin, ugly... Terrible components. Didn't they do? Did they do Notre Dame? Was that another company that did Notre Dame? I think it's them. Yeah, I mean, they and they tried to do a nice version of Castles of Bergen, and we've talked about that. That <laughs> was a travesty. Yeah, they're not design quality of components and artwork, isn't it? Isn't it no, but this is really disappointing to be a special <laughs> yeah. An, yeah, anniversary edition. It certainly isn't. On that note, it's available on Board Game Arena. 
Whether it's worth playing on Board Game Arena still, you're about to find out. Okay, the game itself, though. It's played over 12 months. There's going to be two months of peace, giving you a chance to build your stuff up. And then there's going to be 10 challenges at the end of each month. There's five different ones. They come up twice, and they're randomizing what order they're going to come up. But they're going to mess you up, as well as giving you a chance to score victory points. Now, in order to deal with these challenges, and we'll get back to what they are, everyone starts with palaces, two palaces, and they have roofs on them. And you can set them up yourself, but each palace in the whole game can only have a maximum of three roofs, meaning it can hold three people tiles underneath them. And then players can each draft two worker tiles. You cannot have the same pair combination as someone else. And these worker tiles will take up the first two positions in your palaces, and they're going to give you abilities during the course of the game. In each round, there are seven actions that are split up, and the way they're split up is dependent upon how many players are playing, but it means the actions will be grouped together. And then starting with the first player, they're going to put their dobber on a group of actions and choose one of them to do. Then the next player can choose the same group, but it will cost them three money if they want to go there. And if you want to go to a group that has any number of previous players on there, it's always going to cost you three money to do it, or you can choose one of the other groups. And the way those actions are grouped together is going to be different every single round. It is very much part of the challenge. Once you've chosen whatever the action is, again, we'll come back to it, you're going to get to recruit. You've got a deck of 11 cards. There are nine different types of people to take from. You've got a specific card to take each of the nine different types of people. And then there are two wilds, which is a big part of the strategy. What are you going to spend your two wilds on? What are you going to boost up? Also, when you're taking people tiles, there are two things to consider on them. Because for six of the nine different types, there are two varieties one which is more effective but will not boost you forward far in the turn order track, and the other one which is less effective but will boost you further forward in turn order, giving you first dibs at those actions, which can obviously lead to you having more choice of what you want to do. Now, I'm going to get to what these disasters are, and then that will bring back to what the actions are and who you are trying to recruit. When you do the action for money, you're going to get a certain amount of tax and a number of tax men that you have recruited into your temples they're going to give you more money and two of the disasters are you have to pay four tax to the emperor for each tax you can't pay you're going to start losing people there are books you can get via an action and there are scholars you can get if you choose the books action you're simply just going to score points do you want to score there are farmers you can recruit and then you can harvest rice using an action because there are two Famines that are going to take place in which you're going to have to pay rice for every occupied temple you have. And for each rice you can't pay, you're going to lose one of your tiles. There is a fireworks action. You can have fireworks makers. You take the fireworks action, you make fireworks. There are two fireworks displays. Whoever blows up the most fireworks has the most, scores points, but halves how many they've got left. So that is a chance in which you're spending your precious actions and recruitment to get fireworks to score points. But they're not going to help you with the tougher challenges ahead. There's the ability to move forward in turn order according to how many soldiers you have in your temples, in, in your palaces rather. Soldiers are also going to help you fend off a Mongol invasion, which will happen twice. When that happens, whoever's got the least soldiers is going to lose points, whoever's got the most is going to score. There are favours you can spend your money on, which will score you every single round, but then you won't have the money for the taxing or to choose the actions. And then finally, I said you only start with the ability to hold four player tiles. You can build, which will give you more roofs, will allow you to hold more player tiles. But again, you have to recruit builders in order to build efficiently. So Sean, it's all about balancing. Am I taking these actions to score points now? But if I do that, I am I at risk of falling apart with these disasters later? Now, I said I remember it being bastard hard. What I found this time around playing it with many more years of playing game experience. Bastard hard. 
<laughs> was that it's not bastard hard to survive. It's bastard hard to score points and also survive. <laughs> right, so one, one evening when you were out of work, um, myself and Rachel were talking about games. And Rachel mentioned that it felt really brutal and very hard to come back if you get behind. So I had a look on BGG and there's loads of people with the same comments. And the one that I've picked up was, uh, I know the game is supposed to be punishing, but it never felt like I could do the things I wanted because each round was just knocking me down more and more and I could never get done what I needed to avoid the next round of punishment. Does that ring any bells? You have played poorly. <laughs> he said Rachel played poorly. <laughs> she would admit that she played poorly. She took a risk. It didn't pay off. And then what happened to Rachel at that point is the whole thing started cascading and she ended up for half the round, half the game with nothing. No tiles, no money, no palaces, just watching us play. <laughs> and at the end of the game, a lot of your points that you haven't scored during the game is going to come from, you get two points for every person tile you have left. That's why you want rice. That's why you want, uh, there's a plague that comes and you can have yeah. doctors you've recruited to stop them from dying, but she didn't plan for it. So they all started dying. And once they started dying away, then she didn't have the ability to take the actions. Like if she taxed, she got hardly money. She had no tax man. Mm-hmm. When she tried to deal with the, with the farming she didn't get much rice she couldn't pay for everything so more people yeah. died and she overreached for scoring early so is it a game where you really do have to know the game already and have a long-term strategy almost right from the get-go well you, you can try that the problem is unless you're first in turn order every time you're not gonna have the ability to choose the actions you want and you don't know how the actions are gonna come out. Right. So a lot about it is when is the right time to so you wanna have two or three options available to you which are valid each turn and then decide which one. Well I can do this one for free, which means I have to do this action next time. So let's say I, I need to build and I need to get rice. Well I can get build now because no one's on it and I'm not gonna pay three extra for it. Mm-hmm. Next time around, if I don't have rice, I'm gonna start losing people and that's gonna put me in a hole. Then I have to make sure I have the three money to take the same action as someone else. Because if I'm not first in turn order, then they're going to get, they might get ahead of me, maybe deliberately. Yeah. Because you can see what each other need. So then am I making sure I've got the three money? If I haven't, then I'll have to tax this turn, which means I can't build. So one of these tiles that I've got is going to have to go because I don't have room to take another one on. Mm -hmm. And that's where it comes from, where someone taking something, you have to be flexible within your strategy. Okay. The only question that I've got, uh, I I want you to talk a bit more about the game because I don't know the game and then I'm going to ask you some question about comparisons later. Okay. So there are limited paths to go down. You have to deal with the same 10 things, but there's the variety within when you do it and how you time it and when it's a good time to take something. The turn track's very interesting. If you take the less efficient people, you shoot ahead in turn order, which is very handy, but maybe you're going to have to take the same action three times in the course of the game rather than two in order to deal with things. Now, that might sound like a lot, but you only get 12 actions in the whole game. And it's really going to dictate where you're going. And the flexibility in action taking is really where you're coming. You're all recruiting nine of the same characters. You only have a two-boy flexibility, but it creates huge different possibilities and different ways of scoring. There's one, like, I taught it on Board Game Arena the other day, and it was her first game, Terry, and she straight away built, which means we couldn't build. So now we've got three of our four spaces taken. And on the second turn, she built again. Yeah, but Terry's a shark. Yeah, she's amazing. So then we were full. 
Yeah. So no one then, and then only one other person was going to get a chance to build because tax was one of the first things that came in. And she realised that with tax coming in, that means we're going to be short of money, meaning we can't follow her in to build. So next time around, one person was going to get to build and the other two were going to have to immediately kill someone right at the beginning of the game. <laughs> the first third, you know, and, and you're like, oh man, I was... What? <laughs> but she reacted to the fact that taxing was early. Now, if taxing had been later, yeah. we could have spent the money to follow, be billed as well, and then had a bit more leeway, but then maybe be behind. Yeah, once that order is laid out of disasters, that is you need to look at it and go, right, between rounds four and six, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. Between rounds five and seven, I have to choose one of those two actions sometime. And then be flexible, but plan. Lovely. So, Ronan, I talked about um, comparing it to other games. My initial one was, uh, I was going to ask you how does it compare to other Felds, but I thought, no, that's too easy. Can you name one Feld game and one non-Feld game that it feels like? Putting you on the spot now, I know. (laughs) World Without End. Okay, yeah, yeah, World Without End, very tight, very... In terms of a Feld game, it really doesn't feel like later Feld games. It hasn't got that... Yeah. multi-step thing of Luna or Aquasphere or whatever, mm-hmm. it's much simpler. It's much tighter. It feels like an early design whereby he was setting up the fact that there are these obstacles that you've got to get through. It's about wading through the obstacles. Now, his games are all about obstacles. Yeah. That's all I know if there isn't one. That, that was the feeling I was getting from you when you were talking about this game, that it, it didn't sound like it was a, a typical Feld. It didn't fit in with these sort of... No, it's modern, not a trade or anything like yeah. that. No, no, much tighter. Maybe, maybe Notre Dame. Okay. Maybe. A little bit. But, but not really. No, it feels like its own classic Euro in that it's tight, it's both treated and tactical, it's brilliant, and you really, really should play it. It's not long. It'll come in under an hour and a half for sure. And it's on Board Game Arena, so don't get disappointed by the components. Just go and play it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That was in the year of the dragon. And Sean's lost his notes. Here we go. Last game for today is Endangered. Brand new off the, the shop shelf. Uh, designed by Joe Hopkins, coming from Grand Gamers Guild. So we are conservationists trying to save either tigers or sea otters from extinction. To achieve this, we're going to be trying to influence ambassadors from the UN to support our cause and vote yes on an upcoming resolution. You start off by choosing a role with a set of cards for that role and you decide what animal you're going to be trying to save, either the tiger or the otters, because there's a different board and different cards for, for whoever, whatever one you're going with. On a turn, you're going to simply roll three dice and they are your workers, effectively. You're going to place them on cards that are laid out by the board and carry out the actions. You have to be careful with this, though, because other players will have to place a higher value die in order to use the cards, and eventually, once there's a six on there, nobody's going to be able to use it until you take your dice away, because it'll be blocked. Actions are to do things like clear destroyed habitat on the board, uh, influence the ambassadors, put influence cubes on them, move the animals around, earn money, pay money for actions, etc. Then... Your next step is going to roll to see if animals give birth. Now, this is influence about how many pairs. So one of the things you try to do is move the animals around to put them in pairs so they are now a mating pair and they have the chance of producing an offspring. And if you get the right roll, then you'll be able to produce an offspring at that turn. Next, you see what area is going to be destroyed. It's a grid. You roll the dice and you're going to choose yourself a row or a, a column. And then that's where... Uh, the, that area is going to be destroyed from 
So you're trying, obviously, to avoid major groups of tigers and try to keep the destruction away from them a little bit. After then, you, you can then in, interact with the impact deck. The impact deck has long-lasting things that are going to happen, that are going to trigger when certain other cards come out. Very rarely is it a good thing, and it's always something usually to hinder you or hamper your efforts. And finally, as I stated, the aim is to get these ambassadors to vote on your side. At first, you don't even know what they want to achieve to, to get their vote. As the game evolves, by placing cubes on them, you're going to find out what they want and who they are, what, what country they're from. And these things sort of range from getting a certain amount of action cards on display, because that's one of the things you can do in the game, I failed to mention, is place action cards on the board. So you're increasing the amount of action cards that you get, Ronan, and increasing your options and putting more powerful options out there. Oh, I'm aware. I've got a comment on that. Oh, have you now? <laughs> so as I said, some of the ambassadors want certain things like how many action cards have you got on display? how many impact cards are on display, the number of animals alive, etc. Some will be supplemented by a dice roll at the end when the vote comes through. And all throughout the game, you can place influence cards on those ambassadors to lessen their needs. Each cube will lessen their need by one. So it's a juggling act. And you t I think... Are you actually juggling tigers? I'm juggling tigers again. Well, that is I, know, I know I've been told not to. It's not fair. For me and Nat, the theming of this had us very invested. We both love we love a tiger. We like a sea otter, but we love a tiger. We've only played the tiger version so far. We've played that a few times. And we when you play very, with the tigers, you're trying to insert a clause into the uh, UN article. He's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. We like tigers. <laughs> I love lamp. I love lamp. And we were very invested in saving the, the poor. Is it just because of the meeples, the otter meeples and the tiger meeples, and you can get panda meeples in the expansion? Yeah. Is that it? Is that the key? We'll get to into it? the expansion. <laughs> Is that the key to why a lot of people like this game? Because of the cute meeples. Yeah, and you're yeah. on a run of different meeples because you like the little Fallout boys with your specials, yeah, yeah, yeah. and now you like your. There you go, little tiger meeples. That that'll get the yes, money out your wallet every time. Yes, yeah. You have to do a little. Oh, what else would you do than do a not tiger impression? <laughs> we can always tell. Remember that time? We I was going to say we were at Whip's name. And I was overstanding by the tigers, and they had a fight. And Ronan came back. He was feeding a little baby, tiny Ellie. She was a little big one. And the the roar had upset her so much. Ronan was giving out about the ignorant pig who had gone past on the Harley Davidson. Right behind my head. <laughs> right behind your head. Shook the floor. How far away were you from where I was? 50 yards, maybe. I'd say it was more. yards. I'd say it was more. I like you still measuring in yards. <laughs> Gives me a 1950s real peaky blinders. I don't know. Like, you wouldn't have it. It was a tiger's having a round until you saw it later for yourself. And then I heard like a lickle bickle roar. Yeah. I was still, was still a bit annoyed. He went, I was like, whoa! <laughs> Did that little place shook? <laughs> tigers are scary, by the way. Like, yeah. I don't know if you need to know that. They right. Oh, gorgeous. Do you, want, do you want me to tell you why it's enraged me before we get into any gameplay. Enrages you? Yeah. Wow, I never thought this would enrage you. Yeah, it has. Go on then. You are, you are a unique snowflake. Because one of the selling points I've seen mentioned more than once is spot UV on the box. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know there was spot UV. No, exactly. So why is it being mentioned all the time? <laughs> all right, 
right. I'm going to talk about actual gameplay. Do you know? I, I do you know what I like, Sean? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I like. That whole idea of the fact that you're laying down the action cards, which becomes the actual actions you can take, and you're creating your own options. That sounds interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, it also can f- uh, feed into what the ambassadors want. But yeah, you're creating your own sort of tableau of actions, and you're doing it between you and. Each person has their own deck and some unique cards in that deck, and it's and it's when to use them, how to use them, and once you place them, they're available to everyone. So you start off with a very basic set of basic actions, basic, basic, totally basic, and <laughs> you evolve the your your action space. Now was that like a species joke? Where you evolve your space? Is that no? It wasn't. No, not really. Okay, right. it was good though. Was it? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah. That I like. <laughs> Here is my fished from the comments general concern. Okay, go on. And I'm going to amalgamate some thoughts people had into what it was telling me is that, as can be an issue with co-ops, there tends to be a small window if the game in timing. So you play for a bit and then you get to this small window. And what happens in that small window, near the nearish the beginning of the game, will then set you on a swing towards really quite easy, really quite difficult, or somewhere in the middle. And it can swing a lot. And once that's set on that path, you know that you're going to be really struggling all game or it might be a bit of a cakewalk. And people have had both experiences. I think the dice kind of work against that to a degree because, yeah, you might have, you might set off on a, a certain track, but the, if the dice don't go your way and, and you start eating up habitat, so if you eat up a habitat with the tiger on it, then you, that tiger dies. Mm, poor tiger. So if you lose some appetites early, are you definitely down for a hard game? No, you've just got to readjust what, you, what you're looking to do and clear that destroyed habitat, replant trees, etc. And make sure, then you've got to concentrate and make sure the tigers are away from, from those areas. It's a balancing act in that you, can only, you can't target an area with the dice for that role that has no tigers in it. So you have to have, there has to be a chance of a tiger dying. So maybe you leave poor one poor son off on his own to take the risk. Of I don't it. like you leaving Ronan Tiger out there again. I've had enough turns. <laughs> and the same with the with the mating. You might manipulate it so that you've got a great chance of. So hold on, I'm getting left on my own to maybe die, and I can't mate. You can't mate, no. It's not polite. <laughs> to be fair, that, that, the world needs that. <laughs> my GP is looking into it. You be quiet. So yeah, I think that goes against it slightly. And certainly from our perspective, we've played it three times now. We've failed once and succeeded twice and every single time. And I think it's in the mechanics of the game because there are dice rolls at the end. Every single time it's been right to the wire. You're starting to sell me. I wasn't, I hadn't paid it any attention. I wasn't going to pay any attention. You brought it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, because people call it like an educational game and you'll learn about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's not really... The whole what you've told me has piqued my interest. I think I need to borrow it. Tell me otherwise. I won't tell you otherwise. I think you do. I think Rachel will really like it. And I mentioned that to her. I think you... But when the tigers die, she's going to be distraught. She is going to be distraught, but if she manages to save the tigers and get that resolution... She will be happy. She'll be skipping. She will be happy. She'll be very happy. I so rarely make her happy. It seems like I should. (laughs) And there's lovely little touches, like you get male and female on either side, so each role has the male or female version. 
And as I mentioned about the unique cards in the deck, and I think it's just, it's just, it's not the hardest cooperative. It's not hard to see what routes you go down on, but I think the dice rolls, etc., keep you keep you on your toes with this one. You go down on. <laughs> That's what you're saying, and I'm leaving it in. Go for it. <laughs> I really, really like this game, Ronan. Nat won't actually play it over all the time because she gets too stressed out. <laughs> yeah, because she's so desperate to save the poor diggers. Okay. I don't know when you play, otters. is it true that you pretend you're Joe Exotic? You've set up cameras in my house again. <laughs> I will not be Carol Baskin again. I refuse to. <laughs> yes, I, I do go out and shoot random things with my, with my high-powered rifle. That's nice. And I have a little wrestle with the cats. And you'll never find out what my first husband is, and that's just the way that is, all right? Live with it. But, yeah, I, I, I thoroughly recommend Endangered. I don't think it's for the deep, 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 deep... Undercover. Deep undercover uh, gamers. I think a quite a light introduction, but a fun one at that. A fun play with some endangered animals. A fun play with some endangered animals. Sweet. Any other business? Has Kickstarter tickled you? It really hasn't. Well, we're recording quite quickly after the last one. We so. are, yeah. So it's kind of the, the same window. games that are still in the, in the offing. I did, you know, there was a little thing. You know the leader series of solo games, DVG? Yes. Hornet Leader and Phantom. Yes, yes, I saw it, yeah. There's a whole big bundle of it. But now, do you know what? I've owned three of those games and never played any of them. <laughs> So this is now a problem because I think I've still got one out in the shed, which is nowhere near like getting coming through the rotation to get played. And I'm still looking at the expansions for games I used to own. Just having a sniff. <laughs> what was wrong with me? You're catching my disease. They look so interesting, those games, but I'm just like, every time I get them out, I'm like, I oh, know, that case is too much. I, too I, much to learn. I ended up back in Trinidad. I didn't get around oh, to did. looking at it. I just left it on. <laughs> I auto Are you still it. getting that Atlantis game? It's still... Hmm. You sure. better tell me, because I'm relying on you backing that now. I'm, I'm not sure. And with my Nemesis play, you're definitely going to be adding to your Nemesis lockdown pledge. Oh. <laughs> we'll see what happens there, but something's getting given on. Do you know, I wanted to mention something. This wasn't a kickstart. I just bought this. Have you seen the new Rio Grande game that just came out? Now, you might not think it's a Rio Grande game because it looks like it's got nice components. Go on, remind me. Nevada City. I've seen it mentioned, yes. Two-hour, meaty Euro, Old West theme, nice components, and from the designer, uh, I didn't write his name down very well, but it's Alan... Alan something. Alan something, oh yeah. He cool. designed Inca Empire. I don't know if I've ever played it. Yeah, well, I played it in the windmill back in that time, and it was really like tight and thinky uh, yeah, and yeah. different. And oh, I remember. Yeah. It took you ages. Yeah, right? yeah Steve, Steve Padgett was playing. So, <laughs> wow, uh, it was really like oh, it's all and yeah. uh, he hasn't designed many games, and this is a thinky deep Euro from him. And you like a bit of Western. Ah, uh, mate, I've taken. Do you know what? Yeah, I've got was, hopes for that. Yeah, it's, on it's on its way. It's on its way. No, no, I paid for it. I paid for it. It's coming. It's not, it's, not, it's not a KS. It's, it's out. Not post schniff. But it hasn't, like, for you think that people are after, well, that we talked to are after deeper Euros. They seem to be cruising in stealth mode. Yeah. I'm predicting, with zero information to go on, <laughs> a sleeper hit. Okay. We've both bought the same game again. The search for Planet X. <laughs> <laughs> we have. Uh, 
why is that going to be in your next tranche of reviews it might be it might be it's certainly something that Nat's interested in playing so sweet I pretended it was for her she said, oh look got that for you <laughs> don't listen to this Nat nice <laughs> groovy okay anything else going down no I'm all good mate I'm all good just working plugging away on the railways about, yeah about to, about to go on my 8th night no 7th night out of 8 and 11 and they're all 12 12 hour nights yeah that's nice um, yeah I'm doing well you're actually looking okay <laughs> Quite a surprise. It's the cocaine. <laughs> right. I'm off to actually take some cocaine from my back, back that I've gypped. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ronan, for putting me up again. We're, we, in case you didn't realise, we are in the same room again with it's each other. It's very handy. It is quite handy. You might have to leave home and move it. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we will catch you next time on The Game Pit. We will indeed. And- The Game Pit is, as always, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go to the network and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. We are on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and something else that I can never remember. SoundCloud, Spotify, (laughs) Spotify, AntennaPod. This is is going to be a regular thing because I I just can't remember that one. No, you can't. We have our social media pages. You've got too many special attributes. Indeed. No, I don't. And we're on Facebook, we have an Instagram account, and we're on Twitter, at GamePitPodcast, if you wish to contact us. Our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com, and one of our favourite places for you to contact us is on our Board Game Geek Guild, and please do, we uh, we never get questions, send us some questions, we'll answer them, I promise, maybe. And yeah, thank you everybody for listening, don't forget that Ronan has finally pulled his finger out and has got his pit spit. Where are yours? <laughs> your, your project. I'll pop him every now and again with one. His pit spits are up and running and they actually look quite nice now that now that Mike's dealt with them for us. Uh, go and see them on the Dice Tower or even our own page. And thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Running late, boy. Running late, boy. Oh, he should be at work.